back to Educate, the alternative classroom experience brought to you by me, Katie Conn, from my London living room. Now this week, I am absolutely over the moon. I'm so excited to be joined by the brilliant Becca Caddy, who is a freelance writer and journalist who specializes in consumer technology, popular science, and the future. I mean, wow. She's written for some of the biggest digital publishers of the day, and for some fabulous unknown reason, she's agreed after I slid into her Twitter DMs to come on to educate. Becca's written a fantastic, and I'm not just saying this lightly, a fantastic book called Screen Time, Your Phone, Your Rules, How to Set Them and How to Keep Them. And I adored savouring each and every page as she explains some very, very important home truths about how we use and mindlessly interact with the technology in our lives. I've asked Becca to talk with me today about some of the central themes in the book and hopefully we can all come away with some tools to help us set some healthy phone boundaries. Welcome to the Educate Virtual Classroom, Becca Caddy! Hello, can I just say that was the best intro ever? Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> <the> God. Chills. <laughs> <laughs> They're multiplying, I love it. So thank you. I mean, honestly, I was very delighted that you accepted my Twitter DM. It's I do feel a bit creepy when I do that, I have to admit, but it paid off. It really did. Yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to um, give everybody a bit of context, could I just ask, I mean, I've obviously done a little intro, um, but it'd be great to find out who you are and what you do um, just before we kick yeah. things off. Yeah. So um, I'm Becca. I'm a tech and science journalist. Um, I've been writing about tech for nearly 12 years now, which feels crazy. Um, wow. And then, yeah, I've written my first book. Um, I was writing it all last year throughout lockdown and it came out in January. So screen time. And it is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I could go Thank on. You. When I was writing my questions, I was like, I could essentially do a close, deep dive analysis of every single <laughs> sentence. Um, but alas, it's not a thesis. This is a podcast. <laughs> and I'm also terrible at writing long essays. So we move. I mean, we all have a relationship with our screen time. It's probably an unhealthy one, uh, just as a top line <laughs> understanding. What inspired you to write screen time? Yeah, so um, from a kind of personal point of view, as I said, I've been writing about tech for like more, well over 10 years now. Um, so I feel like I had that kind of solid foundation in that I've written about so much, you know, I've met so many people who, who are actually creating the tech and the ideas. I've been to so many kind of conferences and things. So I felt like I had that real like bedrock of kind of understanding. And mm. then, yeah, again, kind of personally, I wanted, I did want a new challenge. And I thought, um, I was really passionate about the whole kind of idea behind screen time, because I don't think it's as obvious um, from the cover, but as you know, it's, it is really about balance. And I don't always like the word balance, but you know, there are so many extremes of um, detoxing and talking about giving up our phones and things like that. And um, people, you know, getting rid of their Facebook accounts and all that kind of thing on, on one side. And then there's obviously everything that the big tech companies want us to do on the other. And I just felt this real like tension between the two. And I felt like they were really extreme and, yeah. I've been through stages where I want to, you know, use my tech less or, or whatever. And I feel like, um, you know, my first reaction is always just to, you know, stop using it for a week or like del delete everything or something like that. And I just really wanted to 
write write the book in that space in the middle where it's like okay like you said you know lots of us know we haven't got a healthy relationship with our tech but for whatever reason we can't just give it up and maybe we wouldn't kind of want to so that is the space that I wanted it to and I hope it kind of occupies. <laughs> Can you log off in an online world? Probably yeah. not. And I think it's you know it, it's so subjective as well. Like there are people who need to stay logged on for work. There are people who like, you know, I mention it in the book a bit, but you know, really rely on online communities because for various reasons, they don't have that kind of community offline. So I think it's kind of a bit, I don't know the word, I don't want to like criticize anyone, but it is a bit rich that whole, like let's all just log off because it's just not, yeah, it's not possible for so many people. Yeah, absolutely. And then you very early on say, are we addicted to the internet? Or is that just a convenient space for us to indulge our addictive behaviours? I mean, you ask the audience, well, the reader, however we phrase it, you ask them <laughs> to think about that. And yeah. I was thinking about that. I was like, that is a deep question. <laughs> that, hit, that hit me for six. My socks flew over the room. <laughs> but, I'd be, but I'd be really interested to know, well, what's your answer to your question? Well, okay. To begin with, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> but so to give you a bit of like thinking behind that so it's that was in the first chapter about addiction and it was just really important to me you know later in the book there are chapters about the things you kind of probably expect from a book like this like mental health and body image but I was just really keen to have a real kind of deep look at the word addiction and mm. at why we think we're addicted what's going on to make us feel like that and you know to really drill down into that because I think I put it in the book, but we so colloquially kind of say, I'm addicted to this or I'm addicted to that. And it's more and more being used for the way we talk about our tech. Mm. And right now, you know, kind of like, we don't know if we are, and we can't really say we are. It's not medically, you can't medically diagnose like a tech addiction. And even if you could, there's all kinds of like, you know, semantics here in terms of like, okay, what do we mean by tech? Is it an internet addiction? Is it a phone addiction? what is it? And the bit that you read out, which I, I yeah, I really, I, I, I like that quote when I wrote it, I was like, yes, okay, it really gets to the <laughs> part of one big point, which quite a few researchers make in terms of like, okay, if we're addicted to something here or dependent on something, maybe it's nothing to do with the platform and the tech, maybe mm. it's more to do with the behaviors on it. Yeah, so that particular quote um, is a really interesting one. And the reason I kind of, um, put that bit in there is to really get people thinking about the nature of their kind of dependence on tech and that's one of the reasons that you know the whole first chapter is about addiction why do we say we're addicted to our tech is that an addiction or a dependence um what are some of the issues of calling it addiction an addiction like I go through loads of them in the book but kind of like if we say it's addictive it's kind of applying implying it's toxic and that we yeah. need to detox and we kind of know like we know that there are loads of things that are bad about tech. It's not like fully toxic. It's not like completely bad for us. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's what the first chapter is all about. And then that particular um, line you read out was in the section about behavior and addiction and, you know, questioning whether is it the tech that we're addicted to on tech? So like some of the obvious ones would be like porn and gambling, but then there are kind of others that researchers are pointing to, like, is it your need to kind of socialize with people all the time or is it like FOMO or something like that? So I don't have an answer. That's a very convoluted way of me saying, I don't have an answer to your question, but I really hope that people <laughs> will think about it. Um, 
And, you know, I don't have a problem with people saying they're addicted to tech, but I think we need to understand and unpick the, what we mean by that. Completely. So then obviously in the, in the book, you also talk about the physiological aspects as to why we actually keep going back to our phones. So why we keep picking, I mean, I actually picked up my phone, uh, I think it was 79 times yesterday. And then the day <laughs> before it was literally like a hundred and oh, it, was, it was obscene. It made me think, cause you talk about in the book, actually look at it, stare at your phone, let it tell you what you are doing. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know. So for the listeners now, in a nutshell, what are those physiological factors that are activated by this tech? Um, so we keep scrolling. So I guess the, the first important point is, you know, companies that make the apps and social media platforms and social media is the kind of biggest one here, even though the book generally is kind of about tech. Um, they want us to stay on them for a long time and they want us to be as kind of engaged as possible for a long time. So we don't kind of click away or just do something else. So that's a really important point. So it's kind of like understanding what makes us stay for a long time or check and pick up our phones so we'll then stay for a long time so there are all kinds of things mm -hmm. and um a few things that i find like the most interesting and i write about in the book is um something called the variable ratio schedule sometimes it's called variable reward schedule um and that's the idea that there are different things that kind of compel us to check and be interested in things so there are different kinds of reward schedules there's one where like you get something good every time so imagine look if you opened up your phone and you knew there was going to be five likes every time you looked at it that might sound like it would be really compelling to check it but it's actually not like what we find the most compelling and what we kind of get dependent on is this idea that we actually don't know how many likes are going to be there like there could be none there could be five there could be a hundred and mm. uh, I, I think it's been proven in like various animals as well that that idea of not knowing what a reward we'll get each time we'll do something is actually just you know keeps us coming back for more and I say mm. in the book that is one of the kind of um, strategies used in kind of um, getting people to keep gambling and things as well um mm. So that's a really important one. That is unbelievably interesting. And then I guess if we can contextualize it in the here and now with the newest big boy on the scene, TikTok, um, <laughs> that is it in its very nature. I mean, I once posted a video, honestly, of my partner and I on holiday. Yeah. It was during, I think it was after COVID one. So it was when we were allowed to travel. And I posted a little video of him um, at a buffet and all you can eat buffet but it was obviously covid friendly and for some unknown reason it went viral like properly wow. viral like yeah. it got like three hundred thousand views oh yeah. hilarious because it's just like it's literally him going to a buffet but you do think how did that go viral and you do get that thing of oh my god what's going on <laughs> kind of get really caught yeah. up in it yeah, definitely. So, you know, that's something that's really, really important and um, something that I didn't know when I started writing the book, which is, you know, which has been great because a lot of things I was kind of aware of or did know. So when I find something that I didn't know, it's like, wow, this is you know, fascinating. Um, and then so another really big thing is kind of um, dopamine, which I write about in the book. And I always like to caveat like dopamine is so complex and um, it's often referred to as like it makes you feel good. But there's so much more to it than that, because um, it's all about like us seeking rewards and we're compelled to seek rewards because like we need food, we, we need shelter, we need we need good things. 
dopamine kind of activates to help us seek out those things. But it also reminds us of what um, like nourished us or what was a great reward last time as well. It's to do with the same system that compels us to check what's on social media, that reminds us that we had rewards kind of last time we checked but always reminds us that there might not be rewards this time. So it kind of, it's that kind of cycle of we, we just can't help but check because we don't know what's going to be there. And it feels good when we do check. And it's really messy, but it's so fascinating. Yeah, if anyone wants to find out more about dopamine, go and read about it because wow. <laughs> I mean, it is terrifying when you explain it like that because you 100% do just find yourself aimlessly scrolling and yeah. and then actually going, what, why am I doing this? And then when you explain it like that, it's like, ah, it's because there are chemicals in my body right now. <laughs> yes. And the people who have built the platforms know that. So, you know, all kinds of things. Like I mentioned that um, in the book as well about endless scrolling, which is so obvious. Like we, we both know that we could get, you know, we could keep going on all our favorite apps for days, maybe forever. Um, but when you kind of realize, oh yeah, it's been deliberately engineered like that. So we'll keep looking for things because um, we like looking for things because it's just in our nature as human beings you know it's quite scary I mean it it is very scary and then I guess one of the big factors that you also talk about is boredom right mm. so when and I know you mentioned when you're waiting in a queue or you're at a bus stop you won't really very often see somebody just waiting there with their head up and just sort of looking around and I guess I just want to ask you a bit more about boredom yeah. and how that really works and how that all fits in with it. Again, there's, you know, there's so much to, to boredom, which sounds silly because it feels like the absence of something. But there's there are so many people who believe, you know, we need to feel more bored and we need to let ourselves feel more bored for kind of all kinds of purposes, whether it's like creativity or productivity or, you know, avoiding burnout and things like that. Um, but I think a lot of it with boredom is just how easily accessible our phones and things are. So I think it's less about anything scary going on in that respect and more just out of habit. We generally find it difficult to let ourselves be bored. I think a lot of us find it difficult to kind of be mindful of what's around us and just kind of sit with that. And because our phones are right there, it just seems more appealing a lot of the time. And so I think that's kind of a habit that, you know, even I do it or knowing so much about it. Um, <laughs> I reach for my phone when I feel like kind of nothing's going on. I feel a bit bored. I'm waiting for something. But because that's a habit, I write in the book about like, um, you know, instead of seeing, instead of the addiction kind of thing, let's see it as bad habits. That kind of gives us a lot of tools to kind of think about, well, okay, I'm bored. I'll do this instead, or I'll think about this instead. Or So yeah, I, I think it's kind of, we can, we can get around that a bit more. We can like allow ourselves to feel boredom. <laughs> I think it's really interesting how boredom is something we do need to be comfortable with. Although I don't know how I'm meant to be comfortable being bored. So maybe you can enlighten me there, but... <laughs> <laughs> So I want to also ask you about, there's another fab quote that you say, and you say, when we sign up to a social media platform, we are effectively agreeing to be manipulated in a variety of different <laughs> ways. So obviously that's terrifying to read, but very true. What would you say is the most influential mode of manipulation that we witness from the tech companies today? So I think the first thing is, um, now, don't get me wrong, I think it's really scary too, but to think about, well, there is a business objective here and the business objective is to keep us looking at the platforms and engaged. And because there's a business objective, there is value for us. Otherwise, we, you know, we wouldn't be there. So there is some level of manipulation going on, but I think there's good stuff for us there too. There is a place we can kind of socialize. And I write a lot in the book about 
you know, manipulation in terms of um, we're being shown certain bits of content and certain bits of news and things. I don't think that's all good. But at the same time, we, we don't have the time, do we, to look through every bit of news and get every different side of things and things like that. So I think it is important to say that like that manipulation isn't always kind of really nefarious. It's sometimes what we need to just channel out everything that's going on. But then obviously the problem is, okay, who's controlling that? <laughs> It's very interesting because I guess there isn't time when there is this void of information everywhere. It's exhausting to kind of rifle through it. So I guess it is good. You are right. Very very off piece, but you know, even our Google home devices, I mean, obviously I assume we're, well, we're being manipulated by them. I don't know. Can you tell me a bit about that? About like smart home tech. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the, I mean, there's there's so much around at the moment about like what um what do they keep track of? Um, what the experts would say is that your phone isn't listening to you when you kind of think it then recommends you something. So that's not true. It's it's all anonymized. What your home device would would kind of listen in on, but then that's scary in itself because it's like people have done so many kind of tests and things, and it it really seems like it's listening your phone, but actually sometimes it's even smarter than that, and it's you know. It's, it knows exactly where you've been, what you've searched for, who the people you've met recently, what they've been searching for. So it kind of guesses around, which sometimes is even more kind of scary and intrusive when you think of it like that. But yeah, the latest kind of thinking is your phone isn't listening to you, but like everything, if it turns out it is in a year, I'm not going to like stand by saying, of course it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's probably got one of those instances. I I definitely had one when I was, I think I was looking for something really random that couldn't have been planned. And it was a dishwasher. No, it wasn't. It was a washing machine cleaner. And then I messaged my partner saying, oh, we need to get some of that. And then I think it was on Facebook. I suddenly got an ad for it. And I was like, I've never, I mean, how? How is that thing? I had a really great one the other day. Um, I was walking along in the park and saw a guy um, like rollerblading. I haven't used rollerblades since I was like 17. And I was thinking, God, I could get a pair of like heavy duty rollerblades. That'd be great. I didn't even say it. I thought it. And then I got back and then rollerblades were advertised to me. I know. I don't know what's going on there, but yeah. I'm not saying anyone's like listening to my thoughts, but who knows? You've got a microchip in your brain. That's how it is, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously uh, we've talked about manipulation and, you know, being, I guess, willing to that when you sign up to a social media platform. Mm when you're scrolling you're often left feeling unfulfilled and I think it can induce sort of low level feelings of existential crisis you're like oh god there's so much out there um and you say the more time you spend passively scrolling the lonelier you might feel and make others feel too can you just talk to me a bit more about how you arrived at that conclusion because I think you hit the nail right on the head there yeah so um when I started researching the book I became just so interested in the fact that, you know, there's lots of evidence to suggest that the more time we spend online and social media, you know, the worse we might feel. But it's really not clear cut. It's not like spend time on on social media, you always feel bad. There's, There's kind of so much nuance. People are so different. So I just became really interested in like, what, why is that? Like, is it 
we've said it a bit with the uh, conversation about addiction like is it the different apps or is it the behavior or is it just to do with like how we're all different and our kind of mental health and whatever's going on in our lives is different so that really interested me and then I came across quite a lot of research about this difference between actively being online so like creating content putting things up uh, liking messaging and passively so which is just kind of scrolling I guess mm -hmm. and there are quite a few studies to suggest that it's that that is the difference between what can make one person kind of be happy one day on something and then not the next or and it's the actively passive difference and like one of the biggest things I say in the book is we're all very different so I'm not saying it's that for everyone but that was one of the bits of research where I was like whoa I haven't really you know when you say it or hear it it kind of makes sense but I'd never really considered that before no I guess don't you call it the lurkers is it the lurkers yeah 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 so kind of people that just look at things and don't engage which I you know and, and the reason it really hit resonated with me is like I can tell that when I'm not feeling great that's my default I'm just scrolling and I'm not doing anything I'm the same to be honest it makes a, a little light bulb moment go off in your yes. head I think yeah and I think I think that's why I like it and I think that's why it's funny because out of everything in the book that's the bit that's actually seems to have resonated with people the most I think it's because again a bit like the kind of boredom point we can do something about it so I'm not saying like when we're passively scrolling and not feeling great, we'll always just know and be like, oh, I have to go do something. Like, it's not really about that. It's more like this is something that we can kind of switch on to a little bit more um, and not always catch it and not always like feel better again straight away. But we can be like, oh, OK, I'm not very engaged right now. This probably isn't good for me. And maybe even just saying that or even just noticing it is actually powerful in and of itself, you know? A hundred percent. And I think you also mentioned about having your lock screen set as how do I feel and picking up your phone every time and then going, yeah. am I accessing my phone because... I feel lonely. Am I accessing it because I feel X? Yeah. And and you talk about breaking habits and it's like, oh, okay, this is a habit that needs to be broken. I'll put it yeah. down. Yeah. And that's it. And that that would be great. And it's like, and, and I think that's really important. It's not about kind of like telling ourselves off. It's more just bringing ourselves back because you know we're all so busy we're all like nearly burned out in so many ways that just anything to stop us from kind of zoning out and just going through the same habits I think is you know yeah could be really powerful yeah yeah and I, I, I like that you picked up on that lock screen comment because I think that's that's a really good way of just doing something straight away that might help you yeah I think it's a really good idea and honestly I'd, I'd be very happy to make you a lock screen that's all personalized <laughs> With how do I feel? I'll happily do that. <laughs> but I think, yeah, it's a, it was a really practical, great way of actually letting that message sink in, I think, for a reader, um, which is really tangible and something that everybody can do really quickly. Um, yeah. So I love it. And I can't wait to see the array, the array of wonderful different how do I feels out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great I didn't even think about that yes I should absolutely be creating those for people yeah <laughs> 100% so I want to ask as well so with so much information out there and obviously you very much explain and I love how you do this by the way because you take a really <laughs> complex topic and just make it really easy to understand and digest for a non-techie like myself um so I just want to know obviously we all live in a slight echo chamber and the algorithms feed us content that we probably know it probably knows that we'll like so can we really be living organically if we're living in an echo chamber that feels comfortable how do you know what is your own interests mm. or how do you know 
what is put on you from something else. So are you inextricably linked with your algorithm? <laughs> An existential question, go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, just because my whole thing is like about balance, I think it's important to remember that, you know, some of what uh, the algorithms in various apps and things and even our echo chambers do is kind of good for us. Like I know with Spotify, I can never be bothered to like find new stuff on there all the time. So I love that there's always something that I can put on and focus to work with. That's always going to be a bit like weird, instrumentally, sci-fi space kind of stuff. And that's always there. So there are like big advantages to, to, <laughs> to that and even to echo chambers. Like you know we we want to chat to people that have the same interests as us we're kind of drawn to people that have the same interests as us so that's very normal so I think on one level it's like okay this is expected but yeah you're right there are times when we really need to get different perspectives and I mentioned in the book kind of around I use Brexit and Trump as examples of people who are like how could this have happened and it's like well it's probably because you're talking to the same people with the same views all the time and you forget that there are so many different people out there um so it's a really difficult one um there are kind of steps you can take to stop being kind of recommended things on uh YouTube like the recommended sidebar so there are ways to kind of there are plugins and things to get rid of that which I do recommend people look into I think I say in the book around like just choosing one app where you try and consciously get out of the echo chamber a bit so um maybe like Twitter you have people with kind of dissenting opinions to you or you follow different publications that aren't necessarily on like leaning on the kind of political side that you are and it's not about just like inviting everyone into Twitter because then you just kind of it'd be so stressful but it's about <laughs> yeah little steps you can take to just not do the obvious thing and not stay stuck where you are yeah that's very interesting because I certainly I find it a bit mind-blowing when there's a key cultural event going on I go on my timeline and everyone's got the same like-minded opinions and views yeah. but you might go and see other families or you might come into contact with somebody I don't know while you're in the pub a random yeah. table and they might just say something totally different and you're there's this real disconnect isn't there because you're sort of like oh so there are people that think like that right yeah. okay now what <laughs> How do I deal with this? Yeah, and it, you know what? It is really difficult online because I'm very pro, like, on one hand, I'm very pro, like, muting and blocking things you don't want to see that stress you out. So, like, I don't want to, like, follow loads of people on Twitter who are, like, anti-vaxxers or something because it's just going to stress me out. <laughs> but at yeah. the same time, do we need to understand that side of things to help to... Oh, I don't know. It's, it's really messy. Yeah. It really is. Talking about tech, and manners. Now this is something I have often found a big bugbearer and I really find it unbelievably rude if I'm speaking with somebody. That could be anyone, it could be a mate, you could even be in the office and you're asking somebody a question or you're wanting that face-to-face -face engagement and they are on their phone and you can see it in their eyes that they are not focusing on you. They might yeah. pretend and think they are. What is like, how do you kind of navigate that from your perspective? Is that just somebody being rude or is it something that we can forgive them for because they've been conditioned? Um, yeah, it's it's a really difficult one. I think this past year is difficult as well. Um, when you hear about kind of like um, families or partners who are 
um, like phone snubbing. I don't necessarily like phone snubbing or fubbing, but that's kind of what it's called. Um, who are doing that to each other? Um, because I guess it's been like quite a difficult and stressful time. And maybe for a lot of people, yeah, tech is the way, tech is like a comfort blanket for them. Or it, say in the book, it helps people kind of regulate their emotions and deal with things. So I do have some understanding for why people might do that. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I do see it really, it's really rude as well. And I, um, I don't know if you remember the bit in the book about um, that even if we have a phone like kind of in front of us and like if me and you were talking like in real life now, my phone was next to me. Um, even then there are studies that show my attention would be kind of slightly drawn towards my phone. So I'd be slightly distracted from our conversation um, and I think the researchers think that's a kind of kind of multitasking because I just know that beyond the conversation me and you are having there's like the portal of my phone there that has all these other things going on in it so I find that really interesting as well because I'm the kind of person who uh, might meet up with a friend and just put their phone down on the table and even that can have an effect yeah and I guess you know it kind of depends who you're with like I guess if you're with someone you kind of know personally it's more about boundaries that you can set together and conversations you can have but, you know, I really get it. Like, it's it's really difficult when someone that you maybe don't know that well or it's, you know, for, for kind of work reasons or something is checking email while you're speaking. Um, yeah. It's just, I don't know. It really reminds me of, I don't know, but, you know, when you have a conversation with someone or back, back in the pre-Rona days, uh, what, what a time to have been alive. But back <laughs> in those days, when you would be at a party, be having a chat with someone and you can tell that they're slightly looking over your shoulder. Oh, to yeah. See, yeah, who's the next best thing that, I can speak to or you know or who... <laughs> it kind of feels like that a bit with people picking up their phones so I think it's probably like yeah it's really subjective um and yeah I wouldn't always want to blame the other person but at the same time yeah it just feel deeply uncomfortable when you're on the other side of it yeah obviously our tech use during the pandemic has skyrocketed yeah. um, so in context of our work lives and our personal lives and it's been an absolute savior in so many aspects but I guess with a lack of in real life footfall, that's kind of made up elsewhere, I guess, overly compensated in the digital landscape. Yeah. So you yeah. say stressed out, burned out and always on. So that's what you say. And I just think it's perfect. So how do you set healthy boundaries with your employer when you want to switch off? So and you're working from home. So, you know, you've got Slack, you've got instant messaging things like Workplace Messenger. I mean, you might even be in a work WhatsApp group. Yeah. How do you set boundaries in that instance? Well, I think it's really difficult because obviously everyone's got different jobs and different needs, but then um, everyone's kind of got different levels of authority. So, you know, I know some people who are kind of um, around my age who are kind of in more senior roles and they'd be able to like dictate what like the zoom strategy is for the company or, or whatever but if kind of you're an intern or you're an exec or you're a kind of um lower level on the kind of um hierarchy then you're not going to be able to have as much say so it's kind of about like okay what can I do for me right now but having said that anyone could probably kind of advocate for more kind of freedom and flexibility at work but I think it's important to like okay I'm not telling everyone to kind of march into their bo boss's office and be like I'm not doing zoom calls from now on <laughs> um, but yeah so it's kind of about okay what what can you realistically do within your company and, and personally I think you actually said it a minute ago um, that there's just so many expectations across so many different platforms I really try and just reduce it um, if you can and it's like where do I talk to work colleagues okay it's slack 
or okay, it's it's Google Chat or something like that. Um, because I know a lot of people throughout the past year, that's one of the biggest problems they've had. That like one of their bosses will communicate via Slack, one will always be on email, one will always want a call. Again, you can't always say I'm not doing that, but I think trying to reduce them as much as possible down into kind of one or two lines of communication because that would immediately stress me out. And I know it's a source of a lot of stress for people when it just feels mm. like things are coming in at all angles because you wouldn't get that in the offline office like well maybe a little bit but you wouldn't get five people kind of shouting at different volumes all around you and not most offices at least so yeah especially you wouldn't have five different voices coming at you at once <laughs> I think yeah it's, it's a really hard one especially if you don't have the authoritative voice yeah. in the context of your own workplace to go actually I am cooking it's 8 p.m does this really need to happen now and I think I definitely have heard from people that there is that sense of well what else are you doing I know you're at home because you have to stay home save the NHS and save lives so why you know what else are you doing apart from watching Netflix or baking banana bread like you can reply to me type of thing and I think when there isn't that excuse I guess that physical boundary of the commute or stepping away and out into the world from your office it's quite hard that those I guess with tech as well like it's been great but it's also really blurred those spheres between the personal and professional yeah you've just completely nailed it there that I think that's exactly it yes so I'd say that that yeah those managers that say that are just bad managers but it's very easy for me to say that because I'm self-employed and I'm just like I'm my manager (laughs) um but yeah I hate hate that I hate that idea of what else are you going to do but I've heard that from a surprising number of people actually um as well you've kind of said it all but yeah it's about those like yeah setting the boundaries between work and home I think think that's so important and you know I know people can't always do it because they have to work late and there's a call in different time zones and things like that but it's about okay what can you protect and I know a lot of people you know are, are kind of allowed to like block out an hour for lunch and like to really try and protect that as much as possible and put it in your calendar and do whatever you can to just like have that time not on calls and the same with the end of the day, like if you can try and have a hard stop at least a couple of days a week and do something to kind of mark that, um, it might be easier as things start opening up a bit. But um, if people are working from home more, it's like, what can you do just to just to differentiate between work and home? Like, I always think going for a walk is great. But even if you can't, like, it's like maybe you get changed into something else or you do some push ups and make a tea. Like it, it kind of doesn't matter. It's, it's that like just trying to switch modes a little bit, because as you say, it's that blending of everything and tech makes it really difficult especially if um, and maybe you to a certain extent but I'm different here in that like you know everything I do online or on my emails is kind of just for me and my work because they're all the kind of same thing but if you've kind of got an office job and then you've got a Twitter account that you don't necessarily use for work but it's your personal life then those Mm -hmm. things just merge so much like you know and even they're merging so much in your head in your time but then also they're they're both on your phone everything's there in that same little rectangle so it has I think that's something that's you know one of the biggest things that people have found difficult about the past year you know and it's not just a working from home thing it's uh we haven't been able to do as much we haven't been able to do those things because you know I think working from home most of the time is great pre yeah pre-covid you could go to the gym, you could go work elsewhere, you could work remotely over there for a little bit. You could, you know, it's a very different experience this past year. So that's why it kind of bugs me a bit when people are like, you know, we all need to get back to the office. And it's like, well, you actually haven't, it's nothing like that. Um, I'm ranting about how great homework is now. So. <laughs> 
no I, well I think homeworking's great and I yeah. really love it and I do think you know it allows you to make a lovely lunch yes yeah me too you can be you I mean I love being my most basic self and and having a bit of avo on toast can I do that in an office probably not <laughs> <laughs> it's all, life's all about balance hey it's all about yeah. balance yeah. <laughs> What I'd love to ask as well, obviously, I don't want you to give everything away about your book because number one, that would take so long. And number two, <laughs> I want everyone to go and buy it because it's so bloody brilliant. But without giving too much away, practically for listeners right now, what is one piece of advice that you can give to a listener about them gaining control right now over their tech usage? I hate the whole be kind thing, but it's so true, um, especially with yourself. I think be more forgiving with yourself, especially this past year. If your screen time has skyrocketed, who cares? You've got through a really difficult year. I think that's something that I really wanna try and communicate to people. And that does not necessarily mean you have to pile all the pressure on now things are kind of, you know, quote unquote, going back to normal. You really don't. So I think that's the kind of first thing. Another really practical thing I think would just be to get a handle on notifications and that means different things for it for different people in a big way so I know a lot of people who just put their phone on do not disturb or airplane mode when they need to focus that works for them that works for me quite a lot of the time too and I think we need to get into the habit of doing that more so it could look like that for some people it looks like just turning off all notifications so you will log into an app when you have the time then you will see the notifications and that's fine. Mm -hmm. On iPhone, at least in do not disturb mode, you can kind of set a few more parameters. So if you're the kind of person who wants all notifications off, but worries about some really important call in there, you can add people to kind of your, your white list. I think it's called a VIP list or something like that. So there's that, or, and this is what I have to do sometimes. If I turn off notifications, my anxiety is just building. Cause I'm like, what is there? What could be there? I'm going to have to open every app to see what's there. For me, I actually prefer to have them on and wear a smartwatch so I wear my Fitbit Versa most of the time which I don't have on now even though I'm pointing to where it would be as if you can imagine it um, <laughs> um, and I know this will sound so stress inducing for some people but I have notifications sent to my Fitbit uh, smartwatch quite a chunky screen and so I can kind of see what's happening I can see when notifications come in even emails sometimes but I won't pick up my phone. So the whole point is that I can see it's there. I am kind of calmed by the fact that there's a notification, it's there, okay, I, need to, I might need to deal with it in a minute, um, but I haven't got lost like in the portal of my phone. I put it in the book. I think it's, if you check your phone for one reason, you can end up doing something else, which then takes you like four times the amount of time to do the first thing, even if you ever get back to it. It's crazy numbers. So what that does for me is it allows me to keep focusing on what I'm doing without looking at my phone. That will not work for everyone. I think actually that's another point as well. All these tips and things, they're not going to work for everyone. There's going to be some that work for you and some that don't. And that's huge as well. So yes, be kind, notifications and what will work for you, what won't work for someone else. <laughs> I think it's very interesting how you can regulate and just take these easy practical steps like what you've just said. I mean, I've recently got a smartwatch mm. and I love it. Which I one really have you got? I really love it. SE, Apple, an Apple nice. thingy majiggy, an Apple yep. watch. Apple um, watch, great. I love it. However, after reading your fabulous book, I was like, right, hot damn. I need every time I get a notification, it's like it's an extension of myself. And I constantly am looking and it's starting to just be a bit too much. And yeah, the reasons okay. why I'm having my atten attention taken elsewhere to my wrist isn't actually 
often a good enough reason to stop me yeah. doing something. So your book really inspired me to basically take charge and yeah. only allow certain notifications to come through. And I've done that over the last three days and it's really helped. And I think it is great to take charge. So I can oh, only say thank I'm, you. I'm really glad. So also what I'd love to ask you, 12 years you've been writing all about tech. I mean, so impressive regardless. But I just would love to know what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned about tech over the years? Um, I feel like I've said this in a few different ways. So it must be like my thing. But um, that everyone uses things differently is a big thing. That seems really obvious. But I think it's so important to remember, especially when like we look to the, you know, the final chapter in the book is a bit of a strange one. It's all about like looking to the future and what can we do better and think about better and build better. And I think realizing that we all have such different needs and such different experiences is really important. So um, I'm very into uh, virtual reality. I write about it a lot and I just am obsessed with my Oculus Quest um, headset. And I write a lot about VR and I'm so interested in what can make one person love an experience and get really relaxed because it's some kind of like co-creative painting environment and you can paint all around you in, in VR. And some people might find that really stressful. And then also, you know, with video gaming in VR or, or not, you know, some people feel such a de-stressing experience gaming and it's so important to them. And, you know, they have a lot of fun and it's real, you know, it really, really helps them on a day-to-day basis. Other people just don't like that they're not into gaming and they'll find another way to kind of de-stress and so so I think it's that and it's that tech companies kind of sell us certain things want us to buy certain things and there are certain messages attached to those things but it doesn't necessarily mean that's how we use it or that's what's right or that's what what's right for us that's something I've learned you know seeing past the marketing messages and the specifications and things and that's what I try to do in my writing it's like okay here's here's a cool bit of tech but here's actually how it'll make your life better and here's actually why you might not need it and here's how to use it in a way that works for you that's what I'm passionate about and I've learned like how can we kind of see past it and think more about it and what it's doing for us and what it's not helping us with I think that's a really succinct way of talking about yeah I mean it's just I mean there's so much to unpack there but I think you've hit the nail on the head sometimes your tech is going to work for you sometimes it might not float your boat and other times Mm -hmm. you don't need to even engage in tech I guess you can do something else and like that's absolutely fine it's such a fascinating area especially I I did an episode where I spoke about um how it's annoying that you have to say women in things you know the, the amount of the amount of zoom I guess virtual zoom events that have probably been labeled women in tech or women in STEM I mean obviously you have to have those things and that's a totally different conversation but I think it's really great that for 12 years you've been writing about tech you're a woman in that area and I think it's so cool and I'm really happy that you've come on to educate because I'm a big fan of getting people but of course like getting women on to talk about topics that are actually perhaps traditionally male skewed so I can only say thank you for that it's very exciting yeah well thank you so much for inviting me on it's it's so good to just hear you that you took so much away from the book as well just yeah really heartwarming (laughs) I mean I truly have and then I guess I kind of finally want to ask if Mark Zuckerberg suddenly teleported into this conversation right now and was like god I could be anywhere in this world but I actually really need to be on educate um (laughs) what would you say what would you say to him what's what's one thing that you would say to Mark Zuckerberg to influence how he sort of approaches social tech of the future oh okay I'm gonna get really serious now I feel like Facebook particularly needs to get a real big handle on 
uh, misinformation, which is when people share things that aren't true um, unintentionally, and disinformation, which is where things have been false things have been shared intentionally. They're two things that are just really problematic uh, for all kinds of reasons. You know, a lot of the kind of um, anti-vax sentiment around at the moment, I think, is motivated a lot by what people see online. So, so I, yeah, so I think Facebook really needs to get a handle on that. The problem is, get a handle on that is just really easy for me to say, but it's like, what does that look like? Um, because if we kind of teach, um, you know, the AI that works on Facebook to, you know, flag up content that might be misinformation or disinformation doesn't always do that right um it it can make errors it can get rid of actual communities so then what does that mean it's like do we then hire people who are going to be looking at every single thing it's a really really difficult area it's very challenging i don't think facebook's done enough to address it but at the same time there are no easy answers either but Yes, I, I think I, th- I think that's a big area. And what we saw kind of with Cambridge Analytica a few years ago, where companies were able to get hold of data in a way that wasn't readily available to them, but they kind of bent Facebook's rules a little bit. It's, you know, quite a weird grey area. But um, yeah, that should never have been able to happen. So yeah, I, th- I think it would be that. And I would have no answers for him whatsoever, but I, that's what I would tell him to do. <laughs> That would be a very good dressing down and I would be here to <laughs> I'd be here to to witness that and ch- champion and cheer along as you kind of tell him how to deal with that but I do think you know it's it's really important to learn how it is impacting our everyday lives yeah. and it doesn't just extend from you it's not just a relationship between you and your phone it's actually you and a relationship with how your phone impacts communities yeah. and I think Facebook really should get a handle on that and you're totally right yeah definitely um Becca I honestly cannot say thank you enough you've just been an absolute star and thank you so much for number one writing an absolutely <laughs> iconic book I mean what a book but on an actual serious note I'm so pleased that you've given me the time of day um to ask you so many questions you're fantastic and I just hope everyone goes and reads screen time your phone your rules and yeah thank you so much for agreeing to come and educate thank you it's been uh, yeah it's been a real pleasure thank you well that was unbelievably interesting and if we're going to go down that metaphor of the penny dropping let's just say my purse is empty my goodness becca caddy thank you so much for coming on to educate thank you so much for writing a brilliant book that has absolutely changed my relationship with my phone for the time being let's hope that i stay on the straight and narrow And I really hope, listeners, if you really enjoyed today's conversation, that you decide to make screen time your next bedtime or daytime or whatever time read, because you will not regret it. Thank you, listeners, once again for tuning in to another episode of Educate. I hope you learned as much as I did during that lesson, because my goodness, there is so much food for thought. Please make sure you follow Educate underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter to keep up to date with all Educate chatter. And if you want to come into the audio classroom and teach me a lesson what are you doing get in touch now i would love to hear from you please make sure you stay subscribed give me a cheeky rating if you fancy it i'd love it if you would have a great week and thanks again for joining me take care bye bye